Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Guachan Lai to my Shailen Patel. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, I hope you have had a cracking weekend, because I certainly haven't. I went to watch, <laughs> um, I what it's called now, the right. new Spider-Man kind of film, Madam oh, Web. Madam Web. <laughs> yes. Have you heard about this? I've heard many of things about it. I don't need to see it. I don't think I could take this one off my list. Yeah, I, I can give you a review right now. Absolutely appalling. It was shocking. It wasn't even like so bad it was funny it was just boring and mm. crap it's i reckon it'll be like putting you or i in that situation where we have to act for the first time that's i've seen clips of certain segments of the film and i've seen lines and dialogue and i imagine it's if you plop us into that situation no experience whatsoever you will get exactly the same outcome like yeah. me for example charismatic me can you Considering imagine? it's quite a high-profile cast as well, mm-hmm. it's incredible how bloody awful that film was. So hopefully this show is going to be more entertaining than that. In fact, you know what? I can guarantee it, dear listener. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, The Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is indeed a Sunday episode, so we're going to be talking about the results in the championship this past weekend. And as a little change of pace, we're going to be starting off by focusing on the teams chasing the playoffs. Then we'll look at the results at the top and bottom of the table. We've also got more footballers you've met in strange places. An incredible response to that. I'm very much looking forward to bringing that to your ears. And then we'll finish off with the polls and Simon Grayson's hateful eight as per usual. But let's kick things off with Birmingham v Sunderland. And it was revenge of the Mobes. Yes, Tony Mowbray completed his redemption arc by beating <laughs> Sunderland 2-1. Two months after they sacked him. John Talbot's three-word review, Beal out now. Max's is comeback, limbs and revels. And we've got to keep in mind here that Sunderland got rid of Mowbray because they seemingly thought they could do better. And here we are two months later. And I think this is why I reckon a lot of neutrals will have found a bit of joy in Birmingham winning this one, Justin, because... The Birmingham fans certainly enjoyed it because they threw him a bag of revels as he walked off the pitch. It's like when a great opera singer puts on a brilliant show. Instead of showering him with roses, it's a bag of revels. And look, I've got absolutely nothing against Sunderland as a football club, but I will admit I was so happy for Tony Mowbray winning here. I was um, initially going to take issue with some of your um, some of your comments that you put down, but actually... 
I think I think you are right. Mainly because Tony Mowbray is such a nice guy. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. And I think his profile's risen so highly because if you look at the turnaround in, in Birmingham City, even over the last few weeks, it's fantastic. And the character he's instilled in the in the players in the football club, um, especially recently to coming from you know, coming from behind in games is um, is absolutely massive. And he, they did the same thing here. And I think if you if you're coming off the game and people are, are throwing you gifts like a bag of revels, which can do some damage, by the way. Let's be careful, please, Birmingham yeah. supporters. Let's not get too hasty. A, you know, a big share bag, they they could pack a punch. So let's let's be careful when we next when we next to it because it's inevitable. It's going to happen again. Um, it's yeah, it's it's just it's a fantastic turnaround for for Birmingham City and, and obviously Tony Mowbray, who is doing what we know he can do. We know he can do, and what he should probably be doing at Sunderland right now. Um, but unfortunately, they probably pulled the trigger a bit too soon. You can say that again. Um, it'd be fascinating, wouldn't it, to see Tony Mowbray just struggling to keep his head above the water while he's being drowned in revels. I was going to say, do you reckon? Do you reckon he has a bathtub at home just full of full of revels? <laughs> he just lies there like um, like a mafia boss in his in his bathtub yeah. full of an array of chocolates instead of. You know, cocaine or money, he's there in revels instead. Reveling as in I it. said, as I said, the reason Sunderland seemed to get rid of Mowbray is because they thought they could do better. If they think Mick Beale is better, then that's a bit of an insult to Tony Mowbray, isn't it? But Sunderland's loss is Birmingham's gain, and they were left in a pretty troubling position after the Rooney debacle. But they're almost certainly going in the right direction again now under Mobes because. That's just what he does, isn't it? He will leave Birmingham in a better position. You can almost guarantee it one way or another. And we're already starting to see that. And they've gone from looking over their shoulder to mid-table in the space of the month. It's great to see it, really is. By the way, the limbs for the first Birmingham goal were insanely good. It was. I don't know if it's got something to do with the new stands at St Andrews, but it looked like utter carnage after that uh, Jordan James goal went in. But we've been saying recently, Justin, that Mick Beale has somewhat been winning around these Sunderland fans but it wouldn't take much for that all to unravel very quickly losing to Huddersfield in midweek and then losing to the manager who you controversially replaced the Beal out brigade is back in business Justin <laughs> was it ever out was it ever out I think that's the thing I think it's quite interesting how fragile his relationship with the Sunderland fans actually is because he can do no right at the moment and when your performances are as subpar as they as they are, um, they have been tightening up. I think that's a key thing. But at the same time, there's so many mistakes that get made in games, and I just don't see any sort of management to get around that or to alleviate that. I will take a degree of sympathy with him. I, I do think um, you know a lot of managers who probably are more experienced might not fare much better with this young, inexperienced squad that he's got. They are going to make mistakes, the players are. It's a very talented squad though, isn't it? It is, but it's young and you are going to get inconsistencies. But at the same time, he's not vastly experienced himself in the world of management. This is just his second full season as a manager, isn't it? You go to QPR last season, Rangers um, going into this season and then he's going to find it difficult and he's going to go through the motions himself. And I think that's where Sunderland have probably got the appointment wrong because they're going from a vastly experienced manager who's got a great character in Tony Mowbray to someone who's still trying to build his profile and still probably trying to find his way and you don't need that you, you can't have that with a Sunderland squad that is um, boasting so many young talented players they need to be playing a certain way and he's not getting that out of them because you can you can excuse mistakes can't you you can excuse mistakes in games um, when when things when, when the football and the endeavours are there and they are and they are playing the right way but they're not 
they just I don't really know what I'm looking at with this with this Sunderland team under McBeal and frankly for me I I would opt for someone a little bit more with a little bit more of a clear philosophy than McBeal well I, I by and large agree with what you're saying Justin for me this burn this Sunderland team should be in the top six on paper it's a top six squad when you've got a player like Jack Clark who's arguably been the best player in the division this season and then others like Dan Neal who is someone we've been tipping possibly playing for England in the future Pierre Equa was fantastic last season Trey Hume is one of the best fullbacks in the division for my money Dan Ballard excellent defender this should be in the top six and the fact that they're playing right now like a simply a mid-table side isn't good enough and well I don't think Mick Beale based off the job he's done deserves to be sacked after two months it's looking at this stage like there needs to be a change because I just can't see it getting any better anytime soon. Mainly because the fans just don't believe in him as a manager. And I mean, the Sunderland fans weren't best pleased at all prior to this. And that's before you even get on to him blanking players after they get substituted off and want a handshake. And that's exactly what happened to Trey Hume here. Now, Beale says that he didn't see him. I have a very hard time believing that, Justin. What about you? <laughs> I I won't I won't sit on the fence. I I I, I won't defend him either. I just think he's probably right. He probably didn't see him. Um, really? He's, he might have a, just he might have a bad peripheral wa- vision. You don't know what Mick Bill's eyesight is like. You know, if you watch it again, if you watch it again, he is he's not even in the peripheral vision. He's like slightly for about he's about a forty five degree angle away from where Mick Beale's looking. He's Listen. got to have seen. He's he's not a bird, you know. He's not got he's not got sideways vision. He can't he can't see him. He's got tunnel vision. He might Big Bill might have tunnel vision, and he's just <laughs> entirely focused on what's going on. Like I said, we don't know we don't know a lot about um, managers' uh, eye uh, prescriptions. We we can't take that for granted. I think um, I think I will give him a little bit not a little bit of credit, but he did come out and say that he you know he um, he didn't see him, and I think it's fair enough. But like like I said, Bill can do no right at the moment. I think that would be the best way of saying it. it's PR within the club is is at its all time low probably, and he's a little bit unlucky. But at the same time, he, he doesn't help himself. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why blanking players, and I think he's done it on purpose, Justin, because I've watched it several times now, <laughs> mainly because I love cringy moments like that. Hence why I work with you. But there's no way he's not seen him there. I, I'd say there's a small chance he's not seen Hume's hand being offered out for the handshake, but it is physically impossible for him not to have seen. Hume being there because he's right next to him and at the very least it's poor man management to just ignore a player after he's been subbed off and this is before you remember that it's Trey Hume a young lad who's been one of Sunderland's best performers this season and gives 100% every game and look Beale is already a very unlikable character this just makes it much much worse when he's doing stupid things like this anyway let's move on justin how about this for an Acabuster? leicester one middlesbrough two three world reviews from borough fans matt rowney says we are weird steve cosgrave <laughs> typical borough that mfc ben how the fuck and uh, leicester fan tony bryan's three world review squeaky bum time this was just leicester's fifth loss of the season a fair play to borough they had just one win in six heading into this so i don't think many would have given them a chance here but michael carrick's boys took the chances and really caught leicester on a bad day we did say on friday just in that it seems like middlesbrough season was fizzling out however perhaps there's more life than we thought 
I think so. I think if you stand up to Leicester in their own backyard and not play the way you're expected to play, because you've got to adapt when you're playing the best team in the league. They were buried by the amount of chances that Leicester were, were create, uh, created and they still came out with the three points. They had to ride the luck a little bit. Um, and I think the way they set up tactically, I think it was spot on playing a three at the back was 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 a good was a, um, a good way of getting the best out of the players that he had available to him, Michael Carrick. And if you look at the first goal, for example, it was three or four passes up the pitch. It was direct, it was quick, it was incisive and how often can we say that Middlesbrough have taken that chance when it's been laid up like that? Not very often this season. So it was almost a perfect microcosm of everything that Middlesbrough haven't done this season. They've had their backs to the wall. They defended well. They took the chances. And it's just about generating activity. So I, everything that the uh, Borough fans said on, on Twitter, it was weird. How the fuck? I, I understand it. But they've got it in them. That's the annoying thing. They've got it in them. Um, and I think if we see that more often, then they certainly could be life in them. Only seven points off the top six. But at, at this point, it's um, it's a conversation we're probably having in a few weeks' time. But more performance like this, why not? It can happen. Well, they've definitely got it in them, haven't they? Because they've got some very good players. They've undoubtedly been a lot less free-flowing and potent in attack than they were last season. And simply outscoring the opposition was the name of the game last season and they've not been able to do that as frequently this season. However, Finazaz is an excellent player, as we keep saying. If Riley McGree stays fit and gets back in form, that's a huge boost. And Lewis O'Brien's another one who's had his injury problems, but is undoubtedly a brilliant player as well. So there are the tools to work with here. But despite being Leicester, in the last two months, they've picked up one point from two games against Rotherham, lost to Preston and Bristol City at home. So you got to look at it like this. Wins against Leicester are great, but if those other games, if you're not getting anything from those other games, they're the ones that get you in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. it's all well and good beating Leicester, but you've got to do it week in, week out. And so if they're going to get back into the playoff picture properly, they have to be more consistent, don't they? And that means you know, just following this up, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's more performances like this. Uh, again, you go to the second goal, they were incisive the way they broke. I think tactically the way they set up probably suited them a little bit more and they had good runners and technical runners from midfield. There was a, there was a lot to like about how Middlesbrough played against Leicester, albeit they didn't create the better chances and were quite lucky at times. Um, and like you said, all the ingredients there, you look at Lewis and Brian, who was the best midfielder in the league a couple of seasons ago with Huddersfield. Um, when you've got a player like that at your disposal, you're going to have a you're going to have a chance. It's just about taking those moments and weathering the storms when they need to, and coming out the other side. So I think as 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 far as Middlesbrough go, um, this is a benchmark performance that they need to build on. Yes, they weren't the better team, um, but there are so many variables to take away from it, so many positives to take away from it that they just need to bring into their their weekly performances. And if they do that, they'll be a damn good side. But like you said. Not getting, not getting points against those teams that they need to get points against, against to to get into that top six. Um, that can be damaging, but it's performances like this that will get you them. Yeah, well, Middlesbrough are thirteenth despite this win, seven points away from the top six. Despite this loss, Leicester are still nine points clear at the top. They'll be hoping this was just a bad day at the office because their next game is Leeds <sighs> away. I tell you what, <sighs> if they lose there. Could be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but there were injury time goals for both sides at the John Smith Stadium as Hull won 2-1 away at Huddersfield. Jacob Greaves scored both goals for the Tigers. He hadn't scored for 12 months prior to this. <laughs> Bloody busses, mate. Uh, but it's four wins from five now for Liam Mazzini's lads. Justin, you have said recently you haven't been overly impressed with Hull. 
since the turn of the year, despite their exciting January business. Was this better in your eyes? I don't think it was. Um, I think on the balance of chances, it was probably fairly even. Um, and I've seen so many Hull fans say that we never give Hull any credit, but I've been praising Hull for the last five or six Podcasts months. have they been listening to? It's outrageous. crazy, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. But it's there is validation in what I'm saying over the past sort of um, few weeks, because I think with the quality that Hull have in their, their squad, they're not playing in line with that. You take Philogene out of the equation for this game, for example, I thought he was fantastic against Huddersfield. He was brilliant. So Rory and Carvalho didn't really offer a lot throughout the 90 minutes. And I think Carvalho was substituted. Billy Sharp only had 10 touches of the ball. I think if you bring Liam Delap into the side, it changes things a little bit. Um, and I'd say Philogene had the, the same number of um, touches as Zerori and Carvalho, but did so much more with it. It's doing that. It's getting more out of the players that he's got. And Rossinho accepted himself after the game that um, the football wasn't the best, but it was the character and togetherness that got them to the end of the game. And that's absolutely spot on. You need that in your in your team if you're gonna if you're gonna get into the top top six. But at the end of the day, if you've got the players you've got at your disposal when you've invested fairly heavily in January, you need a little bit more. And that's where I'm sat with them. I'm not criticising them. I just want to see more creativity out of this team because they, they boast arguably one of the best sort of technically gifted um, front three out of the whole division. Yeah, well, that's completely fair, Justin. It, it's four wins from five, and that's obviously great, but I think it papers over the cracks because they haven't been great during this during this run the wins came against Sunderland Millwall Rotherham and Huddersfield now Sunderland fair enough that's a good scalp although it was a bit of a snatch and grab win when that actually happened and then the other three teams Hull should be expecting to beat and they made it hard work for themselves with the exception of the Rotherham game but Rotherham are awful aren't they so you know they've got to up their levels undoubtedly that's particularly the case because they've got to play four of the current top six in their next six games so it's tricky times for Hull and if they don't up their levels and struggle to get anything from these next six games then you'll be looking at the playoff race and be going oh god now we've got a bit of a mountain to climb in that respect so that's why they have to play better because you can't be just squeezing past a team like Huddersfield who you should be beating when you're Hull City and um, particularly when you've got the games that they've got coming up anyway. Uh, so a disappointing afternoon for Huddersfield. I wonder what their new manager would have thought about it. Andre Brighton writer was in the stands for this one. He's the former manager of Schalke, FC Zurich and Hoffenheim. Now, let's be honest, Justin, we don't know much about him, but we know someone who certainly does. Andy Brassel is a European football expert from our fellow show at Stack on the Continent. And he's given us the lowdown on Brighton Writer. Well, I'm sure there are Huddersfield fans who are hoping that Andre Brighton Writer will be nearer David Wagner than uh, Jan Siva. Look, Brighton Writer's um, been a good coach in Germany for the, well, the best part of a decade, really. Um, an incredible job at Paderborn to get them in the top flight. And they played really brave football when they were there, despite the fact they were in resources that were never going to keep them in the Bundesliga, did pretty well at Schalke considering and a job that has looked better and better as time has gone by because Schalke have really suffered in, in, in recent years. His key achievement really is outside Germany in going and uh, winning the Swiss Super League with FC Zurich, which was a pretty astonishing achievement when you look at where they were just before that. And he's a coach that likes to play really bravely. That didn't always work at, at Hoffenheim. 
um, in his last job in the, the, the Bundesliga and that was cut short pretty quickly. But I think if you look at um, his career overall, he does play the sort of football that is, is going to excite fans, which I, I think is, is, is pretty important. Obviously, it goes into a job where he's going to have to battle from the off, but we've seen from the different sorts of jobs that he's done that he can be able to do that as well. And just because he's taken over an underdog team or a, a, a team that's in the lower reaches of a division, that doesn't mean he, he won't try and be ambitious with his game. Thank you, Andy. And for more European football chat from our friends over at On The Continent twice a week, every week, just search On The Continent in your podcast app and hit subscribe. Just an interesting what Andy was saying there. He has got a great CV, which makes me wonder why he fancies a relegation battle in the Championship, but I don't think Huddersfield fans will be complaining. What Andy failed to mention there, which I find quite interesting, is he won the Swiss Premier League with FC Zurich in 2022. Ironically, ahead of former Huddersfield manager David Wagner in what was the only time in the last six seasons where young boys didn't win it. So he's officially a better manager than David Wagner. <laughs> that we that we can say for sure. Um, but what do you think of this? I think it's also interesting that he plays rather front-footedly. Yeah, it's, it's one of those that um, obviously there's always a degree of caution because we don't know a lot about him, but He's had success in Germany. I've read that he prefers a 3-5-2, which probably suits the current balance of the squad. And if he's playing on the front foot as well and playing brave football, that's going to suit where the um, where the club wants to go and where they have been in recent weeks under John Worthington, which is a good place to be. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a brave appointment. It's an ambitious one. And clearly he's got a pedigree of uh, achieving things with clubs or achieving things with clubs. I think that'd be the, the best way to describe it, which is what Huddersfield need. I mean, you've got David Wagner and Corus Corbrand who... Both overachieved with Huddersfield had success and were you know, born out of the premise of overachieving. So hopefully this follows suit. I think from a from a, a really deeper analytical level, looked at his Instagram, loves his dog, and that's that for me is a that for me is a huge huge win. If you if you put your dog on social media, you are going to be a success in my eyes. Particularly when he's managing the terriers, Justin. Oh, I can't believe you didn't yeah, make but, that link. But he doesn't have a terrier. That's what I didn't want to. Doesn't I didn't matter. want to mislead people. Doesn't matter. He likes his pups. That's all. That's all that matters. That's why. Situation. That's why he's been attracted to the job. That's why he exactly. wants a relegation battle in the championship. I feel uh, like we've just completely disregarded the expert level of insight that Andy Brassel has given us and brought it down to our level. And that's where absolutely. we need to be. That's what we do here on the second. And. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it I think it's an exciting appointment for Huddersfield, really. Um, these managers who come with bigger reputations from abroad often goes one or two ways. So I'm very yeah. intrigued to see how it does go. But if he plays on the front foot and has a record of overachieving with clubs who have been struggling, then that's exactly what Huddersfield need right now, isn't it? So yeah, I, I mean, I'm incredibly intrigued to see how this gets on and. Uh, hopefully pulls Huddersfield away from the relegation battle and continues to work magic like he has done in previous jobs. Uh, now, we were just mentioning David Wagner. His Norwich side have now won 10 points from an available 12 after beating Cardiff 4-1. They've scored 12 goals in those last four games as well. Norwich City, they're firing them in for fun at the moment, aren't they? Are we surprised that we're seeing this? I know they had a big chunk of the season where they were really crap and the fans were booing the team. Um, and David Wagner was basically almost sticking his middle finger up at them and saying, I'm doing it my way, leave me alone. Um, I'm reading between the lines, obviously, but 
for me, Norwich were the best team for the first few weeks of the season. They've got quality in the side. They've got quality in the forward areas. And now those players are returning, have returned. You're seeing a dividend. You look at the standards of the goals in the game against Cardiff. It felt like a Norwich home performance of a bygone era. It was attacking. It was quick. It was incisive. Three, four passes. Boom. Cross. Goal. Um, and I think the third and fourth goals in this game actually highlighted the ability in this team. Mixed with the character coming back from behind as well, I think is really impressive. But when you've got a striker like Josh, Josh Sargent, in and around it, you've got a hard, hard-working individual like Ashley Barnes creating that space for him. You're going to get goals. You're going to get space. And Sergeant's got six and six now. He doesn't like he's stopping either. So I'm really impressed with him. The scoring goals are fun. I expected them to get to this point at some uh, at some degree in the season because they've got that attacking quality, and we're seeing it. Yeah, well, it is no surprise really that they are scoring as many as they are because ultimately they've got two of the best players in the division in their respective positions in Gabriel Sara and Josh Sargent. I, I think if there is any surprise, it's that it's happening with David Wagner as manager. I mean, Sargent, he's just go to, gone to show what Norwich were missing when he was out injured because he is just such a good forward and he really is. And uh, they have admittedly played really well recently. I don't think I need to rethink my position on their top six chances after beating Cardiff because Cardiff are pretty appalling right now. But despite the unrest behind the scenes over the past few months, Norwich are in a good position right now. And it's it pales in comparison to what it was you know, a matter of months ago when it looked like it was all really going to shit for Norwich. But yeah, well done to David Wagner on turning it around. A quick word on Cardiff City, Justin, who I'm getting increasingly more worried about. Alid Hopkins has been in touch with his three-word review. In big trouble. And the drop-off has been huge, hasn't it? It's now 10 losses from 15 for Cardiff. In that time, no team has scored fewer than them and only two sides have conceded more. It's a big contrast to earlier in the season, isn't it? Yeah, big contrast to September. Um, if you if you really dig into Cardiff's form, I was startled to look at, I know XG is a, a controversial subject for people, but I was startled to see that they've only created over one XG since the start of November. That is staggering. Perry NG is the top scorer with five. Then it's Demetrius Gautas, who's level with Carlin Grant, and Ike Ubo, who's now left. It is not good enough. You have to be creating more. You have to be scoring more. And ultimately, if you offer more in games, you might come away with something from games like this one against Norwich. But they're just so blunt going forwards. We've said that for the last two years, really, with, with this Cardiff team. Um, and frankly, uh, that's why I was a bit disappointed with Bullock kicking kicking off earlier on in, in the January transfer window and saying that uh, he needs players. I think he's got players that are better than creating one XG over yeah, more than three times since November. That, that is a simple crux of it. The team needs to be doing better, and the book stops with Bullock. Yeah, well, they have been appallingly bad, and it just seems to be getting worse, doesn't it? I, I was the same as you, just in the looks at their XG, and while it may not be everyone's cup of tea, it does not paint a very happy picture at all. And they've just been getting comfortably beaten each week. They offer next to nothing going forwards. They've failed to score in nine of their last 16 games, and now they're shipping goals as well. They are genuinely playing like one of the worst teams in the division right now. And they're lucky, really, that they did have that great start because otherwise they could be in serious danger of going down. That's how bad it has been recently. And look, it wasn't too long ago that Eric Bullock was complaining about the lack of business being done by Cardiff in the January window. I'm not sure if he's satisfied in the end or not, but he's overseen this quite dramatic drop-off and needs to put things right and quickly because otherwise... Cardiff will be sinking down that table and maybe may get to a stage where they are looking 
over their shoulder. I don't think you can completely rule it out. That's how badly they are yeah. right now. Uh, continuing with the theme of the playoff race, Coventry, other side, continuing to occupy sixth place. They won 1-0 away at Stoke. Ellis Sims with the goal. Someone who's not really lived up to expectations this season since joining for big money in the summer, but goals in back-to-back games for him. So hopefully he can kick on from there. Luke's three-road review, fifth is the ambition. And finally, Preston 2, Blackburn 2. Preston a ninth and just two points of the playoffs. Surprisingly, had a bit of form recently as well. Hey, right, Justin, I'm interested to see what you think is the current pecking order of the playoff hopefuls now that we've gone through most of the runners and riders in this mm. playoff race. I assume we both think West Brom will be in there. So yes. we can omit them from the discussions, unless you think otherwise, but clearly you don't, based off what you just said. So, Justin, if you had to rank the playoff chasers on who's the most likely to finish in the top six, who would be your three at the front of the queue? So you're asking me who's going to finish sixth, basically? Essentially, yes, at this stage. Okay, okay. Now, this is an interesting debate. Um, I want to back Coventry because I want to back Mark Robbins, but I, I think there's something a little bit I'm not overly convinced by. I don't know why. Um, I think it's more so that they have had to tweak the formation a little bit um, and maybe that opens up opens them up uh, somewhat against opposition and, and they might be a bit more a bit more, uh, a bit more vulnerable um, on the attack. And I think a lot of that depends on Callum O'Hare's fitness as well. Um, if he stays fit, I think he was left out in midweek because of fatigue. I can't get Norwich out of my head. I can't get them out of my head. I am I am being seduced by Gabriel Sara, Josh Sargent, Boy Sainz, Johnny Rhodes, all this attacking quality in that side. And I'm getting I'm getting an air of the old Norwich a little bit with them. Um don't get me wrong, I don't think David Wagner's Dave, uh, Daniel Farker by any means, but I can't get them out of my head. But if I was to if I was to make a list, I will go Coventry are the most likely. Then I'll say Norwich. And then I think there'll I think there'll be a a someone coming from deep. I might edge towards a Watford. Um, I just think defensively they're, they're, they're good. It's just whether or not they run out, of, run out of juice. I can't see Sunderland getting into the top six under McBeal. Preston are accidentally ninth. There's no way they, no way they'll sustain that. And Hull, <laughs> I think Hull will finish eighth or seventh, probably two or three points off the top six because I've not been convinced by the performances of late. I'm surprised you think that about Hull, but this is my stance for me. Definitely Coventry at the front. I, I just think they've got so much quality and look a class above everyone else. Great manager as well. I'm not sure why you've got any doubts about them really, Justin, because I think every time I have a question about them, they just seem to find another gear. So that's why I have Coventry miles away at the front of my queue. Then I would say Hull. Haven't been mind-blowingly great recently, have Hull, but surely it will click sooner or later. They've got a a squad that really should be playing better than it has been. Although, as we were alluding to earlier, they have got a tricky run of games coming up. And then I want to go Sunderland. In terms of the players, Sunderland should be in the top six right now. There's no doubt in my mind about that. It's just the bloody manager. So if we if they were to get there, I'm not sure if that would be with or without McBeal, but they've undoubtedly got a much better squad than their position in the table suggests. Norwich, I'm still not completely convinced by, mainly because I just think they're, they're very shaky at the mm. back. Also, Jonathan Rowe being out injured, I think, is a really big blow in that regard. Um, and then the others, I really struggle to make a significant argument for. They may not be off far off the top six in terms of points, but I'm looking at Preston and Watford and I'm like, can I really see any of them finishing in the playoffs? I'd, I'd be lying if I said it did. So that's what my top three would be. I'd go Coventry... Miles away at the top, then Hall, then Sunderland. Wow. No Norwich. No yeah. Norwich. 
Incredible. No, I think they've got more attacking potential than, than Sunderland do, especially under Mick Beale. I think David Wagner's tapping into that a little bit more. I think you're getting carried away with recency bias. Recency bias being that they've been in much better form than Sunderland. Yeah, That's what you're recency probably right. bias is, yes. Yep. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying Norwich have looked a lot more convincing over the past six weeks than, than Sunderland have. Well, that's your opinion, Justin. Not sure I agree, but either way, let's go for a break, after which we've got more of your stories about meeting footballers in strange places. We've been absolutely flooded with them. We'll see you in a second. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and it's now time for us to check out how our Second Tier Multiple with SBK got on, which included our Game of the Week, as well as Justin and I's two bankers from Friday. We had West Brom, Leicester and Ipswich all to win, so just the one winner there, and we're not getting any closer, are we? But we'll be back again with another Multiple (laughs) in this coming Friday's preview show with SBK. I'm continuing to be confident we will get one before the end of the season. Anyway, Justin, now it's time for us to talk about our listeners meeting footballers in random places. I've been looking forward to this, and this comes after Thursday's episode where I mentioned I bumped into Jamie Vardy while coming out of a train toilet, of course. And the response we've had from listeners since then has been actually insane. We've just had email after email, and I've actually lost count with the number of people who've got in touch. So thank you for sending in your correspondence. We won't be able to mention them all, so sorry if you don't get a shout-out here. But here are some of the eye-catching ones, Justin, a selection of them. Adam Grewer met Rob Green at a Chemical Brothers gig before questioning why he left Leeds, but he wasn't very pleased with that. Daniel Brown met Danny Higginbottom at the Fun Shack in Seam. Seam? Seam? Seam. Sunderland way I think Um, and also Sol Campbell at a National Trust Reserve in Northumberland Cole Stewart yes Cole Stewart (laughs) says he stood next to Mickey Gray at the urinals of the Stadium of Light Toilets Um, I really enjoyed this one Ben Rowley says he bumped into Gordon Banks at a Pizza Hut in Newcastle under Lyme and before Justin asks no I don't know what the topping was um, Thomas Plummer met Giles Coke at his mum's 50th birthday party (laughs) (laughs) That's, so, that's an obscure one. Giles Coke so is an obscure that one. Might be the best mum's one. 50th birthday party. What is the relation there? Why is he there? It's, it's just the beauty of <laughs> completely obscure former championship player 
and Mum's 50th birthday party. Fantastic combination. <laughs> Daniel Mee bumped into Peter Crouch and Cameron Jones at his mum's petrol station in Stoke. Robin Harper says while he worked at home base in Ipswich, he bumped into John McGrill, Herman Horiderson, Joe Royal and Marcus Stewart, all at different times. I was going to uh, say, Cal- <laughs> they turn it yeah, up together. Not together, not together. That's a weird party. <laughs> um, Kyle met David Prutton, Jonathan Douglas and Casper Ankergan at Leeds Fest. And finally, just in this one is my favourite. It's from Stephen Whitfield. He says, I once met Claude Davis and Ricardo Fuller in a Ruffold bar in Preston where the music was really loud. Now, he tried to say hello to Claude, but he was apparently being rather ignorant. So he pretended that his gran was on the phone and told him that it would make his it would make her day if he spoke with her. So he passed him the phone and he was there shouting on the phone to absolutely no one. It's petty, but very enjoyable. Oh, Claude Davis, what a name. Claude Davis could only head upwards as well. Um to a, to hark back to a, a bygone era, could not head the ball for a centre half. Um, no, that they they were they were special. There were there were some good ones, but yeah, they uh, <laughs> just trying to approach a football. I remember seeing some Derby players uh, a club in um, a club in uh, Derby. Derby. It, I was going to say <laughs> yes, yeah. They were they were where they were playing. Um, I think one of them was Conor Doyle. So obscure, no one will know who he is. It's completely irrelevant point, uh, pointing that out, but. Yeah, it's weird seeing players out in public, especially at a nightclub, um, and you try and talk to them and no one can hear anything. You don't get anything out of the experience, but that was a special, special uh, interchange between you didn't, Claude Davis. didn't give Conor Doyle your phone and say that your name was on the other line? I wish I did. I wish I did. Maybe I'll try it next time when I next meet a football writer at a club, when I work up the courage to actually leave, uh, yeah, go to a loud environment like that. <laughs> Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for sending those in. It's been great fun so far. But let's keep it going. Secretarypod at gmail.com. Keep sending them in. You may get a shout out on the show very soon. The more bizarre the location where you met them, the better, I think. Anyway, let's look at the relegation battle. And it's all got very interesting down there. There's now just six points separating 22nd and 15th. That's after QPR won 1-0 away at Bristol City. How do you go from ending Southampton's 25-game unbeaten run to losing at home to QPR? Honestly, if that doesn't just sum up the championship in a nutshell, <laughs> I don't know what does. But a huge result for QPR. Five of the six teams above them all lost. And it's seemed to really throw the cat amongst the pigeons with regards to the relegation battle, Justin. It's just interesting that those teams above them are just being pulled into it and pulled into it and pulled into it because teams like Sheffield Wednesday and QPR are bang in form. They are in form. They are playing so much better than they were in the first half of the season and they're getting results while the teams above them are losing. Um, and of course, I mean, it's, it's great for us because we get topics to talk about, but the fact that QPR have managed to turn around their form, beat a team who just beat second best team in the league uh, at home in Bristol City uh, and do it quite comfortably by the way they were the better team they controlled the game as well um, I think it says something about the quality that actually is in this squad and what Marty Sifuentes is doing to tap out of it um, sorry to tap him out of it so yeah it's, it's, it's an incredible result of QPR really good performance and yeah the makeup of what it's done to the relegation battle changes the uh, the outlook completely because there are teams there where you were so confident at one point and now it's just like you're sweating you're nervous and you're Asking many questions about the managers that are in charge of him. Squeaky bum time, isn't it? And I don't think many expected QPR to get anything from this after the midweek results. But hey, that's the championship for you, as I said. Well, actually, it's QPR for you, really, isn't it? Because (laughs) they seem to get something from games that they shouldn't and then mess up on games where they should get something. We were just making that point in Friday's show, weren't we? 
I mean, they've got Rotherham up next. So we all know how that's going to go now. But look, they're frightened, aren't they? they? They look much more solid now than they were under Gareth Ainsworth. New signing Lucas Anderson as well looks very yeah. sharp. A front three of him, Elias Chair and Chris Willock should provide plenty of chances. The main issue is those chances are going to Lyndon Dykes. But look, <laughs> they've closed the safety gap. And if they stay solid at the back, they've got a great chance of staying up, particularly because there are so many teams above them who are really faltering right now. Uh, particularly because of the teams above them struggling, one of them was at the Den, Millwall nil, Sheffield Wednesday 2. Darth Alcoholic, his three-word review, says Joe Edwards out. One point from seven games now for the Lions. Just over a month ago, they were 10 points away from the relegation zone, Justin. Now it's just one point and based off how they've been playing, things could get worse a lot quickly for Millwall, couldn't they? Because it's not going very well at all. Well, you've got to look at the the, the, uh, the game here as an isolation. Um, no disrespect to Sheffield Wednesday, but their away form is garbage. So for um, so for Wednesday to, to outwork them and outwork them in this fixture, which is of huge magnitude, by the way, it just isn't good enough. And Joe Edwards has really got to stand up and almost take responsibility and be an experienced manager which is going to be difficult because he's inexperienced. But at this point, you, an experienced manager just rolls the sleeves up and creates that trench-like attitude, world against us, the Millwall theme, if you like. Um, and that, you know, you, you build from there. But he's, yeah, I saw him and you know, I watched, I watched, I listened to his post-match press. He's feeling sorry for himself. You know, things aren't going their way. Sheffield Wednesday only scored their two shots on target. You need to do better in these games. It's, it's not. It's not a taking chances thing. It's, you know, it's, it's getting the players g'd up and motivated and, and character and tactically being spot on. There's a lot of variables there. And sadly, I just don't think don't think it's been good enough for Millwall. It's not very good. It's, it's, it's actually quite terrible to be in the position where they're in because they had a summer that they recruited extensively and it's fallen foul of, I don't know, it, underperformance. It's, it's ridiculous. You don't think one point from seven games is good enough? I'm stating the obvious. I'm well aware of that. Yes. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, those those key things that go out built um, at, at Millwall, you know, being hard to beat, being hard to play against, working incredibly hard, taking chances, it's not there. It's gone, and that went with Rowett. Joe Edwards hasn't been able to get any consistency or any of those beliefs into that team. And frankly, if that's not the case, what does this Millwall team offer? Nothing. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what's changed in the last month, but it is killing them. They were making good progress under Joe Edwards, but like the flick of a switch, it's all gone wrong very quickly. And it's getting to the point now where they may have to knock this Joe Edwards experiment on the head. I, mm -hmm. I was a fan of the appointment when it happened. I always like to see young coaches given a go in management. And I think I even went as far as, as to say Millwall can afford to gamble because it's unlikely they'll go down. <laughs> well, now they could. I mean, ultimately, Justin, let's be serious. A team with the likes of Zian Fleming, Jake Cooper, Jaffet Tenganga, Kasper Donora, et al. They should not be sitting 21st, should they? And in fact, this, this team isn't completely different to the team that only just missed out on the playoffs last season. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it, isn't it? And as I say, there's those beliefs that Gary Rowett put into that team. They've gone. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, things were better under Gary Rowett. I mean, they were because we had them on the cusp of the playoffs, but there needed to be factually, a change. Factually, they were. <laughs> yeah, factually, they were. But you get the point. They, 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 it, there needed to be a change this, this season, unfortunately, because things just ran their course. But what is the expense of that? It's the price of progress. That's the, that's the key thing here. Um, and unfortunately, Millwall have probably taken two or three steps back to take five or six forwards. And it's it's not the time to do it. They need to they need to do what they were doing under Gary Rowett, which is 
making games ugly, making it hard for and horrible for opposition to play play against Millwall, and um, going going from there. Because as I say, it's just it's what it's what's transpired over the last six seven weeks has not been good enough. And as you know, Millwall are now on the cusp of dropping into the bottom three, which is a travesty because Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, and Rotherham have been in the bottom three for ninety nine percent of the season. Yeah, well, they have. It's a great win for Wednesday, though, isn't it? They're four points from safety now and still have a bit of life left in them. Aaron's three-word review needed that win. Um, just now, I've got a question for you. Even if they go down, Danny Rule will have undoubtedly done a great job there, wouldn't he? So do you think he maybe should be on the radar of championship clubs if they get relegated? Because, I mean, the job that he's doing doesn't deserve to be in League One next season, does it? It doesn't, and I guess it depends where Chancery is at as well. Because I wouldn't be surprised if he sacks Danny Rule because it's Chancery and he's a volatile yeah. man, um, and that would be an absolute travesty if he does. Because, as you say, Danny Rule's done a fantastic job at Wednesday, and he's. I think I've said it before in the last sort of couple of months that Sheffield Wednesday were the worst team I've ever seen at this level at one point in the season. They were garbage from Disco Munoz. So for Danny Rule to come in and change that and actually give them a fighting chance. Is incredible. They were pointless after ten games, weren't they? Under me, and I saw had a, a point after ten no, games. Two points from ten games. Still absolutely terrible. Two points from. Oh yeah. Let me do the maths. Thirty is um, it's disgraceful. Really, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the case for a team coming up this poor. So Danny Raw's got them in a position where actually they have an opportunity. They have a chance. It's going to be. It's, it's going to be up against them. But he's put all those variables in place that Millwall need. That Stoke need. It's that grit, determination, and, and character to get out of it. Um, and it might come too late, but as you say, he deserves an opportunity at the Championship again. Whether or not he gets it is, is another story, but there will likely be Championship clubs sniffing around him at the end of the season should uh, should Wednesday go down. Well, it's fascinating really, isn't it, when you look at Millwall v Sheffield Wednesday because you've got one club who have profited off giving a young coach their first job in management and the other one who's now struggling and possibly even regretting it. But yeah, I mean, from a Danny Rule perspective, if you get the chance to get out of Sheffield Wednesday so you don't have to work with Chancery anymore, you're going to take it, aren't you? Let's 100%. be pretty frank about it. Um, so, I mean, he, he definitely deserves better than relegation because I think he's done a fantastic job in just turning the tide with Wednesday because you're right, Justin, they were abysmal under Isco Munoz mm. and he I don't think at any point um, did it look like they had a chance of staying up and now with Danny Rule with the work that he's done they do it's remarkable that it's even got to this stage Southampton bounced back after their first loss in 26 games by winning 2-0 away at West Brom on Friday night Marlon's three word review statement reaction win I think this game just goes to show the gap between the top four and the rest of the league, doesn't it? Because you've got West Brom, the best team outside the top four, have been consistent all season, particularly at home. And they were rather handedly swept aside, particularly um, with Southampton, who could have won by more in this one. So that just goes to show that this top four are just a ridiculous standard, aren't they? one of the best we've ever seen at championship level, possibly even the best. There was a rather strange incident in this one. Carlos Corbran was sent off early on after touching the ball while it was still in play. Hmm. A bit of a, a bit of a strange one. You don't see it very often. No, you don't. And it's it's quite nice to see it, just to remind you that you cannot come out of your technical area. So uh, I know it's quite close at, uh, at the Hawthorns, but old Corbs is um, he's an enthusiastic man on the sideline. So I'm not surprised that he felt the urge to... To, to touch it and he might have, it might have gone out it might not have but just just refrain Carlos just refrain do not touch the ball unless it lands at your feet I think that's the uh, the big takeaway from it 
a bit too enthusiastic in this case, wasn't it? He he has done that. He, well, to be honest, he's so enthusiastic on the touchline that it surprises me he hasn't been sent off earlier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, he's a very nice person, isn't he? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. But... He's not like a volatile character. He's just enthusiastic. He, he, you know, he, too he's enthusiastic there up, in this case. But he touched the ball. And yes, a red card offence in football, apparently. Silly card ass. Not a great night on the pitch then for West Brom, but it was a night to celebrate because, Justin, they finally been taken over or they're set to be taken over anyway american businessman shailen patel has agreed a deal to buy the club it's been approved by the afl and will be complete in the coming weeks excellent news justin absolutely excellent news because the current owner guachan lai truly is one of the worst owners in english football right now we won't fully divulge into that so getting the club out of his hands and into someone else's is great isn't it yeah, I mean, obviously you can't judge a new owner until things things are sorted, things are done, until things are communicated as well. But baggy fans... Probably much worse fans, than what we've had just in that. Oh, absolutely not, absolutely not. But it's always one of those things that, yes, we're being taken over, but there's always a little bit in my mind where it's just like, okay, well, actually, what if this owner's not very good either but you can't you can't think about that it's all about um, it's all about action with owners and, 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 and reassurance and that comes from you know doing positive things and I say Baggies fans have been long in the dark for a while so this is a ray of light that they absolutely needed and, in, and I think rather than looking at what the club can do on the pitch success wise I think Albion's, uh, Albion fans can, can rest better knowing that they have a football club to support because things were getting bad mm-hmm. um, people at the club will be able to keep their jobs etc I think that's a big thing taking out loans from Football bankers like MSD is not how you run or fund a football club. It's just not sustainable, um, and you, it's going to catch up with you at some point. So hopefully these are the, these are the steps with the new ownership to a more sustainable su- success. And if they win promotion this season on, under under old Corps, um, it's a huge bonus. Yeah, well, everything's been going really well on the pitch for West Brom, hasn't yeah. it? it? It kind of shadows over what chaos it has been off the pitch and the concern from the fans particularly because at one stage, well, if, if West Brom didn't get promoted in the next three years or so, then there, there is, a, is a genuine chance that they could go out of business. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how this all changes now with the new owners, but you'd hope that that's pretty much been eradicated now. So it, it's a promising situation for West Brom. It's a bright new day for them. Um, interesting that this new guy, Shailen Patel, from what I understand, has links to the company which has loaned money to West Brom in the past. So how that all transpires and what happens with that now, I don't know. Um, But hopefully this is a brand new start for West Brom. And, you know, with Corbrand doing what he's doing, considering everything that's going on off the pitch and very little backing, hopefully now he can take West Brom to a a new level um, with the new owners giving him plenty of backing and support. So sounds great. I think a Shout out as well for Alistair from Action for Albion, who we've had on the podcast before, um, the campaign group against the uh, owners currently at the club, soon to be heading out, um, done a great job in campaigning against this and spreading mm-hmm. awareness as well. So well done to Alistair. And hopefully this is a brand new beginning for West Bromwich Albion and they can start looking ahead to the future. Um, we'll quickly round off the promotion race. Justin Leeds made it eight wins in a row by beating Plymouth 2-0. Mr. Strubbs, three-word review. Willie's on fire. Definitely need context there. Um, at the start of the year, Leeds were nine points off the top two. Just a month and a half later, they're second. A remarkable run that they're going on. No team has ever won more than 10 games in a row in championship history. And if Leeds are to do it, they've got to take a pretty big scalp along the way because they have Leicester at home next Friday. Justin, your mouth is watering. I can tell. It is my, yeah, my, you know, 
palpitating. I don't know if that's the right word. It sounds disgusting, actually, but I am excited. I'm palpitating. I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait because I genuinely think Leeds have got an opportunity here to um, to get three points. I think the style of football. Yeah, well, no, I think the style of football that both teams play, I think it probably suits suits Leeds in this game. I mean, Leeds have one of the best home records in the league, don't they? So you'd expect them to give Le- uh, Leicester a game and maybe even head into this as favourites. But I mean, after that game, Leeds have got four games against sides 19th or below. So there's a chance that they do break this winning streak record. They've just conceded one goal in this eight-game winning run as well, which is just incredible. So Leeds stay second, two points ahead of Southampton, but having played a game more. A quick shout-out for Plymouth's Ash Phillips, who scored a calamitous own goal before it was ruled out for offside. It was very, very funny, and even he had a little giggle about it afterwards, which I enjoyed. And to round up the promotion race, Ipswich won 2-1 away at Swansea. Freddie's three-word review. That will do. Reese Curtis says, Connor Chaplin, baby. So Ipswich stay fourth, three points behind Leeds, but have a game in hand. So that rounds up all the action from the championship over the weekend. But just before we do the polls and Simon Grayson's hateful eight, Justin, have you been keeping up with the goings-ons at 11th tier Doncaster City? Well, if you haven't, then maybe you should start because they seem to be assembling a championship all-star 11 because in the last few days they've signed Wes Houlihan, Ross McCormack and Charlie Mulgrew. It's like championship Galacticos. It's great, Justin. <laughs> All of them started in their game against Dune and District on Saturday and they won 3-1. Great stuff though, isn't it? I want to know who's the owner of Doncaster City and how has he got these contacts? I think it's an agent. I believe it's a very well-connected agent who started Very well-connected. Very well-connected. But I think they only, the club, Doncaster City, were founded like two years ago. So um, I, I believe that's where it's all come from. So that explains that. But Justin, I've had a crack at guessing who the three next most likely championship legends to join them are. I was wondering if uh, if you wanted to hear them. Yeah, of course. I, I want to know who you deem, firstly, championship Galacticos and uh, who might be next on the list at Doncaster City. I, I've gone with a bit of a formula of championship legends, but recently retired. So they've got to fit into that category, but also... I could foresee joining an 11th tier, you know, non-league side. And so I've gone with James Perch and Mark Duffy and Leon Clark. Could you, could you foresee them joining Doncaster City in the near future? I wouldn't consider any of them championship Galacticos for starters. I think they played a lot of games, but I, 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 just, I wouldn't. Leon Clark had a really good season. Where he, did he win the Golden Boot with Sheffield United? Um he scored a lot of goals anyway. He scored a lot of goals, and maybe he does. Maybe he will because he's he doesn't have Doncaster City on his CV yet, and that'll be the thing for for him. He, he will need to play for his for them to complete. His page is yes. fantastic, isn't it? Um, Mark Duffy. I mean, it's around their area that I imagine he lives in because he's Sheffield based, but he was at Maxfield at one point, so I already know. Uh, and James Perch, completely forgot he existed. So yeah. I just think it would be fantastic if we saw this trend continuing and they continue to sign championship legends. I'm keeping a close eye on Doncaster City for the foreseeable future. Anyway, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. Just want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So first off, it's the question that we asked in the first half of the show. Justin, who's finishing sixth? Coventry, Hull, Norwich, Sunderland. You said Coventry first, didn't you? I did say Coventry, so I'll, I'll stick with it and not confuse everybody. Good. I also said Coventry and the listeners agree with us. 45% of people said Coventry, 29% said Hull, 17% said Norwich, only 9% said Sunderland. 
be allowed. Um, who's winning the Golden Boot? Adam Armstrong, Crescentio Somerville, Sammy Schmodix, Morgan Whitaker. Can I stick with my preseason shout and say Ross Stewart? Uh, I mean, you can do if you want. <laughs> how, how many minutes has he played this season? Like ninety. Yeah, about that. Um, he's a good striker. Uh, no, I, I think I'll go about him Armstrong. The amount of chances that Southampton create, surely he's going to, and penalties as well, is going to be a big thing. Yeah, I mean, Schmodix is, doesn't seem like he's slowing down anytime no. soon, though, does he? Which is remarkable. So, fair play to him. I think maybe I just signed with Schmodix just. 36% of people said Adam Armstrong, 26% said Schmodix, 25% Somerville, 30% said Whitaker. And finally, what is the best biscuit? Chocolate hobnob, Jaffa cake. Jammy Dodger, chocolate bourbon. None of those. Malted milk with chocolate on it. Really? Malted milk with chocolate. No, malted milk with chocolate. It's basically all of those above, but a little bit. It's a little bit of um, a little bit savoury because the the malted milk and then the chocolate. It's a bit sweet. It's a delight. But I'd say Jammy Dodger out of those. Really? I did not expect that at all, Justin. Jammy Dodger is the least popular one on that list. 13% of people said Jammy Dodger. 45% said Hobnob. 22% said Jaffa Cake. 20% said Chocolate Bourbon. I'm glad you didn't flag up whether Jaffa Cake was a biscuit or not, because I don't want to get into all all that controversy. It's a big debate. I was going to say about Jammy Dodgers, if you leave them out a little bit and they go a tiny bit soft, they are perfect. It is perfect. Oh, now you're talking dirty to me. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, he would say Villa, that's one down. Then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to then say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all of his lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them in to secretarypod at gmail.com. And you could get a shout out the next time we do a Hateful Eight. That's exactly what Todd Clark did. He's provided this question and it's an absolute cracker. And he's clearly done a lot of work to figure this one out. So thank you very much, Todd, because I definitely wouldn't have bothered to figure this all out. (laughs) He wants you, Justin, to name the eight championship clubs who have to do the least amount of travel for away games this season. This is based on total miles they will have to travel according to Google Maps. What do you think of that? Long time, this was known. My geography is terrible. Yep. So thanks for this. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, great. I'm going to spectacularly disappoint everybody here and myself. you got to think about this logically. All right. And you won't be too far wrong. You're getting three lives on this. Justin, what is your first answer? So the least amount of travel. Yep, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> I obviously always say Plymouth or Sunderland because they are... Terribly far apart in the country. Um, So I'll go with a Midlands-based club and say Birmingham City. Birmingham City is correct. They have to do the second least amount of travel this season. That's just over 2,600 miles. That's one down, Justin. Um, I can't think of any of the Midlands-based clubs now. That's a good start. Stoke, Staffordshire. Stoke is correct. They're sixth on this list. Just under 3,000 miles Stoke fans have to do this season. Those... Bloody Stokies. Right, you've got six left, Justin. Six left. Uh, Coventry, Midlands-based club again. Just going with the logic you told me. You're guiding me. I'll go Coventry City. Coventry are 
the club which have to do the least amount of travelling for away games this season. Just under 2,600 miles. That's why their away following is so good. And Birmingham, because they don't have to go anywhere. Well, there you go then. What's the next one, Justin? Um, Leicester. Leicester have the third least travelling to do in the Championship this season. Just under 2,700 miles. That means you're halfway there, Justin. gets a bit trickier now. So I've, I've, I've told you four. Yes. Okay, I've told you four. Um, I in Yorkshire basically. I'll go with Huddersfield. Huddersfield are ninth on this list, so that's one life down. Justin, they have to do three thousand two hundred and twenty-one miles of travelling, which isn't good enough for this list, unfortunately. Um, what's your next one? Um, I'll go Watford. Watford are 10th on this list, meaning Justin Peach has lost two lives in quick succession. Watford have to do 3,247 miles of travelling. That means you've got one life left, Justin. You have four to go. I'm, I'm gonna get it's gonna get tricky with Northwest, but I've given myself a barrier now. Okay. I've given myself um yeah, boundaries. Huddersfield typically higher than Sheffield, so I'll go with Sheffield Wednesday next. Sheffield Wednesday are fifth on this list. Uh, just under 3,000 miles they have to do this season. That means you've got three remaining, PT boy. Um, I don't think anybody's between Watford and Coventry. So I might have to go for a Northwest club and stick my neck out a wee bit. Oh, Rotherham. Rotherham. Rotherham's correct. They are seventh on this list, just over 3,000 miles. That means you've got two remaining, Justin. You're going to be kicking yourself at the end of this. I probably am. Oi. One life remaining. Okay, I I think Preston's a bit too far up, so I will go. I'll edge towards. I've, yeah, uh, I've forgotten who's there. Blackburn. Blackburn are not on this list. They have oh to no, three and a half thousand, um, which is quite quite significantly more than the next team below them. Um, so unfortunately, Justin, you've fallen foul to Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. One of the reasons for that is you've forgotten another Midlands club. West Brom. Yes. West Brom are fourth on this list, just over 2,800 miles. The final club you were looking for, Leeds United. They're higher than the Huddersfield. Well, they just have to do 3,200 miles, which is slightly less than Huddersfield. I need to get a map out. Well, you, you can do that, but you're wrong, unfortunately. So Justin Peach has fallen foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Once again, his shocking geography has let him down. But I'm sure one day he will get a geography Simon Grayson's hateful eight correct at some point. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. And we'll be back again on Thursday to give you a roundup of the handful of championship games which we've got coming up on Tuesday night, as well as talking about any other championship bits and pieces. And in fact, actually, Justin... You and I are going to be doing a review of the latest series of Sunderland Till I Die. Haven't watched it yet. I'm very excited to do so. But we'll give our takes on it, our review on Thursday's episode. So you've got that, all the news from the past few days, as well as the handful of championship games, which were on Tuesday night. So an exciting episode coming up on Thursday. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big, huge thank you for listening.
Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.